0: Welcome to yet another episode of the New Space India podcast. One of the biggest changes in the last 20 years is the growth of the small satellites and the CubeSat market. The biggest beneficiaries of this change have been universities across the world. And this is also the case with India, where a satellite mission that traditionally costs hundreds of crores can be done at a fraction of the cost by leveraging these small satellites and CubeSat platforms. A number of universities in India have flown small satellite missions over the last 10 years, And there are several challenges that have been faced by these universities, as well as there are several lessons that we believe there are for universities that want to start a CubeSat or a small satellite program. In this episode of the New Space India podcast, we have Dr. Sharon Asundi, who is a faculty at the Old Dominion University in the U.S., And often spends his summer vacations in India tutoring students in India in building satellites and has spent a considerable amount of time in India with universities intending to build satellites and training them. Sharan shares some great insights into what goes into building a CubeSat program, how students need to be trained with it and how to build a programmatic approach to building small satellites in academic
1: institutions.
0: Hi Sharon. welcome to this episode of the new space India podcast
1: Thank you NP Thank you for this wonderful opportunity. I look forward to talking to you
0: so I've known you for uh, quite a long time now and uh, you have uh, had extensive experience working with um, you know small satellites CubeSats, and uh, you know purposing them into the whole uh, educational community and helping universities build satellites uh, I wanted to have a you know long chat with you on your experience uh, working with universities in india working with universities in the us and some of the differences uh, between them and so on so let's you know begin by chatting about what do you see as uh, distinct differences between teams trying to build satellites in india versus teams trying to build satellites in the us in universities
1: sure that's that's a very good uh, uh, point to start uh, what I've noticed is, in India, uh, I have visited some of the, let's say, uh, higher tier academic institutions and the potential is definitely there. Um, students are uh, uh, very capable, the, they are very eager to learn, they are very eager to do these kind of projects. Compared to US, I think US also has some very good uh, students. The difference is what I would say is in terms of uh, budget, in terms of opportunities to build and realize a mission, uh, I think U.S. is better uh, better suited. There are, as I'm sure you understand um, and you, you're aware of this, there are launch opportunities which are freely available in the U.S. There is a... Uh, Launch opportunities out of NASA, which is called the CubeSat Launch Initiative. It was started as that uh, the ELANA launch uh, launch opportunity. Uh, outside of that, uh, I think DOD also has this uh, University nanosatellite Satellite Program. So there are a lot of launch opportunities. Um, in comparison, there are very limited launch opportunities in India. I think that is that is something which uh, which needs to be addressed Uh, another major point i want to mention here is many of the universities in india which are trying to build satellites ironically they don't have a program in in aerospace engineering or space systems engineering which is really strange and even if they do have a program in aerospace engineering much of the focus is on aeronautics there isn't anybody Or there is a limitation of people who can teach space systems engineering, people who can teach how to go about designing, developing a satellite. And that is really shocking to me. I think that is something which really needs to be addressed. So education and launch opportunities. I think in between, I think uh, India is very well equipped in terms of potential infrastructure. I think it is not too bad. Last point I want to say is in terms of uh, funding, I think this is more of a you can look at it as a as a government issue, but uh, in terms of funding u s has a has probably a lot more funding uh, set aside for um, satellite design and development, or uh, these CubeSat missions for academic institutions. Uh, You can see a bunch of probably hundreds of uh, academic institutions uh, involved in in space missions. There are even a few schools, high schools, which are getting funding to build their own satellites and launch them. Uh, In contrast, in India, I think there is barely any funding for the actual mission itself. The um, it is either. The universities are somehow, the universities are well equipped in terms of finances. They are, they are trying to arrange the funds for, to build and launch these satellites. So I think that is another difference in terms of uh, small sats and cubesats when you compare US and India?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great uh, beginning. So we may systematically kind of break down all of these into, you know, every different head and, uh, you know, go deeper into all of them. When I look at it from an Indian side is funding, as you said, uh, if you talk about that, uh, the source of funding is normally if you are a government institute, I guess you apply for some government grants, be it DST or or some other uh, kind of government sources to get some uh, funding. Uh, In India's case, I guess, uh, you know, institutes like PESIT have got funding even from the defense, I think, to build these small satellites. Uh, But on on the private uh, institutes or the private universities, I guess it's, for them, it's more about, uh, I get a feeling that it's more about like the prestige of having a first satellite up as a private university or so on. So uh, in India, that's at least the feeling that I get. So the two questions I had here is, uh, how does this reflect in the US? Is this like, very similar there also because U.S. has a large landscape of fri- private universities. The second bit there is, um, is the cost of hardware and the cost of the satellites themselves very similar or same if it is built in India and in the U.S.?
1: Yes, yeah, so, so to the uh, to answer the first question, I feel in the U.S., um, the university administration is not really as supportive of students building satellites as uh, as is the case in india there is very little, little at least in my experience there is very little private funding in the sense universities is not going to come up with uh, even private institutions they are not going to come up with uh, even a couple of 100000 dollars if you say you want to you want to build a satellite and launch it uh, they will expect you to go get that funding from somewhere from a federal agency from companies even sometimes, if you have alumni who are willing to help you with uh, with getting that direct funding or point you in the right direction, they expect you to go and get that funding. Uh, in contrast, I think I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing. Um, Indian academic institutions, the private institutions, are willing to sponsor a mission in that they are. And as you said rightly said, it is for many of these institutions it is a matter of pride i i think the way they see it is uh, this will put them on a on a map on a which will be recognized by the whole of the country i think that's that's not entirely a bad thing uh, but if there is uh, some kind of uh, education and research opportunity which goes along with that that's uh, that's not bad at all and uh the second question i think you talked about um, in terms of the cost i think you're right in that if you're trying to build just looking at the the hardware whether you build it in india or in the us if it's if it's merely the hardware i think the cost is is not very different uh, as you can uh, i'm sure you realize this as well any academic institution if it if it's going to build its first uh, if it's going to build a program, the first couple of missions are going to be expensive the it's it's i i don't I personally don't feel it's a good idea to build every uh, design every subsystem and build them for your first mission so you're probably trying to build one or uh, one or two subsystems uh, and procure the remainder of the subsystems and these days as as you are very well aware these subsystems can come from any Corner of the world, the cost is is not going to be significantly different. But I think what we have to understand is if if this becomes, if a university is trying to make it a program, I, I strongly feel that the the cost of the mission is going to significantly change um, for universities in India compared to the universities in the U.S that is definitely uh, something to look for.
0: Right, and what does a typical CubeSat cost? Uh, if somebody wants to build a typical you know, CubeSat that is basic, you know, some university's team wants to build it, how much can it cost? Uh, you know, what is the typical expenditure on?
1: Again, this is a very, as you can understand, this is a very open-ended question. I'll give you some numbers based on my experience. Uh, my very recent experience, uh, we went to a university recently uh, in in south india and i have come up with a like a budget for maybe 3 to 3 to 5 years let's let's talk about let's say the 3 year mission plan you would at least need 2 to 3 crores uh, in in indian rupees to realize a first mission i think if you are trying to do it for maybe 1 crore or around that region It's it'll you're risking a whole lot Uh, in terms of uh, many of these academic institutions in India who are trying to build these satellites for the first time, they don't have a ground station, they don't have, uh, there might be a a clean room available to these institutions, but there is the cost I'm talking about includes cost of um, a ground station, and also uh, to some extent, personal cost. What I've noticed is the institutions which are successful in India, students are not doing all the work. There is a lot of help from from experts and these experts may come from from ISRO. These experts are retired ISRO personnel and they working with students is what is resulting in, in, in a successful mission. So that cost is there in India. Compare that with, um, uh, with the US, I think if you're looking at, uh, for example, I'm, I'm just looking at uh, realizing a mission, the concept is out of NASA Langley. And uh, with your help, I, I put together a, a budget and um, just the hardware budget is uh, about, for a decent mission, it's about 200, 300 K. And plus you, You tag on to that, the indirect cost, you tag on to that, Uh, at least some student help, some graduate student help, uh, and no salary for for the professors, Uh, I think that would easily be uh, half a million or three quarters of a million. So even if you're comparing half a million, that would be about two, three crores, what you're talking in terms of Indian money
0: there are two aspects again that come out of this one is uh, you talked about the ground and then the satellite aspect of course isro is offering uh, free launches to a lot of these uh, universities as well like uh, nasa is offering uh, but then they also come with certain caveats that as to how you could build your satellite and how you could uh, you know which payload you would integrate and so on how does that affect the whole process? Does NASA also have such reviews where you're allowed to build in a certain architecture or not, or you're allowed to fly a certain payload or not, or so on?
1: Yes, yes, that's a very, very good point. I think um, if you remember what this Elana stand uh, stood for, I think it was education launch of uh, uh, nano satellites, uh, and I have heard uh, from uh, many of these. People who started these programs that the focus of u s launches is not on on getting a utility mission or you know getting something incredible in out there in space. they are very very much focused on education uh, if, if, um, and the number of opportunities which u s provides is i feel it's it's it 's uh, much larger than uh, the pool is much larger than that of India. I think India is, is uh, ISRO is, uh, I th- I feel ISRO can accommodate more launches. They do focus on putting something they feel is is credible and they feel that uh, it should work out there. Otherwise, they feel if they launch something which does not work, which can, uh, let's say they're launching um, 50 student-built satellites uh, in the next five years and half of them feel, they feel that reflects on their credibility. And in contrast, you you look at how NASA sees it, it's my personal opinion that NASA is not so much worried about uh, these satellites being successful. Um, i don 't think they feel it will reflect poorly on on their credibility or their ability. They are very happy to support the education aspect and they they try to provide opportunities for universities which are left behind, for example, if there are two universities which are uh one very credible which has established a program and one which is just starting, they do want to give the starting university a chance in space systems education i think that's that's a big difference between how uh, isro views this and how um, or how india views this and how us views this
0: what is the level of training that uh, you know professors or staff need in getting into these kinds of projects because often you said you know that uh, even in the us for example they may not they may be universities that are not really core space centric, but more like aerospace or aircraft related that are also trying to do CubeSats or even in some cases, universities that don't have any, uh, you know, aerospace programs that are still trying to do newly CubeSat programs. And in some cases in countries like Israel, you know, there's even high schools and schools that are now trying to build CubeSats and are building them. So what is the level of, uh, you know, expertise, uh, people would need to get into this, because I think that's a very big uh, perception barrier. And also a lot of fear among, uh, you know, people who are in in India, who who are even, you know, teachers or professors in universities, who may think that this is something that is too complicated or, uh, you know, too expensive to fail at.
1: Yes, uh, I think that's, again, a very good question. What I, when, when I approach uh, institutions in India, I, I provide them a plan for um, three to five years. I tell them, you have to start with systems engineering, space systems engineering education, first of all. Um, you have to understand, you have to make yourself, when I talk to faculty and administration and the students comfortable in this and looking at what a spacecraft is what is space systems engineering uh, any every every time we think about space systems engineering we we of course uh, think about rocket science and as you know uh, once you t- once it, it becomes rocket science it is you know something only elite people can do uh, however if you look at it from a systems engineering point of view i think you can really nicely break it down into um, physics and mathematics, uh, and teach them the physics and mathematics of space systems engineering let 's say if you 're looking at a mission uh, a five year mission plan or if, uh, to establish a program and get on the uh, get on the map, which is I think a very reasonable amount of time if you really want to be a credible institution engaged in not just one mission but uh, a program you have to look at providing students a comprehensive uh, two semester training in that the first semester you'll you'll teach them uh, an overview of satellite design and uh, the second semester they'll do a a project related to um, designing a satellite. And you have to keep that course, that uh, the training ongoing for the duration of the uh, for the duration of the mission. And that is because you know in the academic world, students are coming in, students are going. So you have to keep the, the workforce stability. Uh, the other important aspect is what I suggest is uh, right away invest in, in a ground station. I think if you invest in a ground station, particularly uh, for colleges in, in remote areas, uh, I have gone to some re- really good colleges in remote areas where even with very limited resources, you can, uh, uh, with the amateur uh, radio station, you can track and you can download data for a number of amateur uh, satellites, even student-built satellites. And what this uh, when you combine space systems engineering training or a course in uh, satellite design with this uh, with this ground station? capability, I think what you'll tr- start uh, learning or start realizing is how these satellites are are built, you will essentially start understanding the anatomy of a satellite, you will get into the designers head, you know, when you look at when you analyze data, when you look at uh, what kind of data you're downlinking be it whether mission data or health data, you'll start understanding the design. I think with these two going parallelly, you can take up uh, you can st- think about uh, payload and then uh, design uh, start looking at the design of the payload in the first uh, year or two uh, i the program will start coming together in a year or two beyond that it's 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 a, it's a matter of you know using the skills avionics skills which is present in the uh, in the electronics and electrical engineering labs um, the structural design and development skills, which is present in the uh, mechanical engineering, civil engineering uh, programs. Uh, and of course, in the programming, which is big, um, all these departments are, are in there. So if, he, if, if there is one or two people who understand space systems engineering and who can drive this or guide this, I think with the remainder of the resources uh, within, uh, within an institution, they can make this happen. Uh, the first mission would be I, I I feel you should take more time to to develop a program. Subsequent missions would uh, take much less time
0: right and uh, what is the what is a good team size for building such a mission because uh, often you see this question pop up saying we have you know five hundred or a thousand students in this university in this whatever particular year, and we have fifty faculty members and so on so of course, you know satellites are very uh, unrelenting machines where even one change in a sign can make the entire mission go wrong. so what is the difference that you see between the culture of building let 's say satellites in India with student teams and in u s and what you what do you think is an ideal size of a team
1: right, so um, what I feel is um when I put together my plan, what I do is I typically provide one or two program coordinators who are either established faculty in space systems engineering, or uh, in in Indian scenario, if they are retired ISRO employees, I think that is a great that is a great role for them. I think they do enjoy uh, being involved in, in missions like this. So one or two coordinators, maybe three or four subsystem leads who can, uh, one mission lead uh, or payload lead, uh, one who can do uh, electrical and electronics, and another who can do mechanical engineering, essentially the structure uh, of the satellite, and uh, very important is uh, somebody with uh, programming knowledge, somebody with embedded programming knowledge. So these four and a ground station expert, these would make the the higher up. And then uh, we can have under them, um, we can have maybe two people per subsystem or per uh, two or three people. I think it should not be uh, too big. So around 15 to 20 people, if, if we have too many people, it's like uh, too many cooks spoil the broth. If there are too many people, the mission may not go in the right direction. I think what it is important to realize is the people at the top, the mission coordinators and the subsystem leads should really know what's going on. And they should be able to direct the students. If you leave it up to the students, I think in any, I'm sure you realize this and it's, it's 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 a no brainer that if you leave everything to the students the the chances of a successful mission is, are are very little uh, particularly if the student team is mainly of undergraduates they will not know it. they will they will work at their will and um, they may even cause damage to some of the systems they are building or designing they may cause harm to themselves so they they need to be told do this 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 and time your uh, time your work or schedule it so that you have to really very specifically direct uh, direct them to do certain tasks. I think a team of fifteen to twenty would be would be a good team to start this whole mission
0: so in an Indian setting, do you recommend that uh you know, as you said, probably some of the most uh, experienced uh, ISRO scientists uh, who have seen it all in the last, you know, 25, 30 years may be useful in uh, having them up as uh, kind of system engineers and administrators of the program with their uh, experience. And then maybe, you know, they having control of uh, different subsystems, a bunch of them, and then student teams working around them. Is that a good model to follow in India
1: or Yes, I think that's a wonderful model. And uh, as you know, uh, uh, PS University has been extremely successful in in implementing such a model. The reason they did a wonderful job with their first uh, the Pisat one satellite, it was relatively more successful than many of the academic institution satellites which were launched for the first time. And Subsequent to that, they are, as you know, they are now DRDO is actually uh, contracting to build, this contracting with PS to build their satellites, which is really great. Uh, I think once you have established your program with the structure you just mentioned, um, where ISRO people are retired, ISRO personnel are leading uh, subsystem level efforts or even administrative efforts or systems engineering effort with students working uh, with them um parallelly what i would say is if they are capable of teaching systems engineering they should do that as well uh, if they are not i think a systems engineering course should always be going on if if you are not teaching then it's a it could be a deal breaker you cannot uh, expect students to um, just listen and learn i think that teaching is is teaching is like training and that training, because students are coming in, going out, coming in, going out, uh, if the training is not happening on a regular basis, uh, students may come with limited or no training and then the mission can can really face the consequences.
0: I thought, you know, one of the interesting perspectives that we can take in this chat is uh, of a student who is just, say, entering the universities and then exiting. Normally, that is a four-year life cycle in India's case where you enter a university and you do four years of engineering and then you get out at the end, at least for the undergraduate level. So in that life cycle, Mm -hmm. where do you think are good entry and exit points for somebody to get into a CubeSat or a small satellite program and exit? Because if it's the last six months, then, you know, the... The, the entry point may be just too late because uh, the amount of work that you can do in maybe six months is very little considering in over a two or three year time period.
1: Yes. So I have seen, uh, I would encourage students to enter into this whole thing as uh, sophomores, sophomores or second year. Uh, I I feel first year they should, they should really focus on on academics, getting their grade, to be stable, um, but as early as second year, they can start getting into these, uh, into the mission, into uh, into such a project. And I have practically seen this uh, with students um, who um, who I mentor at uh, at PS University. Um, when they enter as sophomores, they are not very aware of what's happening, or they are not knowledgeable. But they quickly develop a uh, liking for for what they are doing, and by the time they are, as you said, um, in their final year, they are leading the effort. They are leading a subsystem, and they are very well versed with what's happening. Um, they are they understand how the overall mission. Um, what is the overall purpose of the mission? How the various subsystems interact, and they are able to. Uh, now we have to keep in mind that students only can bring credible students in. It's it's very difficult to, for faculty to. Um, we can go out and recruit graduate students or you know research associates or research research assistants, but to recruit good students, I think. Um, students are, are best. When, when you have these students working with you for a couple of years, you can tell them, uh, can you bring in students or they're going to attract uh, credible students. So enter as sophomores and you can be there until uh, until you're done with your program. I have uh, mentored students who whose final year project has been, uh, and not just one, but several students where their final year project is part of a mission or part of a, uh, is is a uh, space payload, is a CubeSat payload. And they have uh, gained credibly from that. They get papers published. They have uh, uh, patents and uh, on on occasions, they have even gotten awards from the Indian government. Uh, Even folks here, they're able to uh, roll out lots of scholarly outcomes by by engaging early in these in these type of projects of
0: course you know in a setting like india you have the university telling you, students and you know professors what to teach and what is to, uh, you know what is the gray uh, examination or the subject or the the syllabus of it and and so many other things that are normally set and this normally does not include a, a satellite project or a cubesat because these are not a satellite project is not directly a, a foundation, fundamental coursework in uh, in physics or something, or at least is not considered to be. Uh, so that's the problem in, in in incentive, right? Because essentially the incentive for somebody to like do a CubeSat project or be involved in a uh, satellite project in India is more so just just to be curious rather than attached to a subject. And that can be a very deep uh, you know, discouragement for somebody doing it as well, right? Because at the end of the day, it's, it may not be very well integrated into the grading system or the teaching system and the outcome and the result out of it does not reflect on somebody's, uh, you know, achievements at the end uh, to, on, on paper. But of course, you know, there's an, an achievement there in terms of gaining a lot of knowledge and uh, being uh, successful as as engineering uh, graduates.
1: So here I think um, I often uh, tell the audience with whom with whom I interact, that satellite engineering, space systems engineering, or satellite engineering in particular, is inherently multidisciplinary engineering. We talk about multidisciplinary engineering right now. Right now, our focus is a lot on multidisciplinary engineering. But uh, if you look at what satellite engineering is, it's a combination of many engineering fields, you get to experience uh, electrical electronics engineering. If you you get to experience a lot of communication engineering, um, you get to do some really cool uh, mechanical engineering, structural engineering designs. Because when you're talking about uh, satellite engineering in the, or mechanical engineering in the context of satellite engineering, you are of course dealing with earth conditions, but you're you're trying to design to extreme uh, environment, which is great if you're if you're trying to get a job in in the uh, in the defences in in uh, DRDO or uh, Indian defence, and even programming wise, there is a lot of scope for programming in satellite engineering. When you're actually doing these projects, you may think that it is satellite engineering and it's it may not fit into one of the engineering streams. But what I've noticed is it fits really well if you I have seen students who have done some wonders with regards to mechanical engineering mechanical design by trying to fit trying to fit something within within the constraints of let's say the cubesat uh, specification document I mean if you're if you can do that the um, imagine the amount of thinking that's going to go into that and when it comes out, when it reflects on your resume, I think a sound engineer will not see it as, uh, this is satellite engineering, not relevant to uh, mechanical engineering or electrical engineering or computer engineering. They're going to see that, oh, this is uh, satellite engineering. This is precision electrical engineering. This is precision precision, um, communication engineering. And even in terms of physics and mathematics, you're not going to do any more physics and mathematics in any of the field than satellite engineering. You do some really great uh, physics and mathematics. Um, you do, when you do orbit analysis, if you're, if you're able to do that, I mean, I think you're very well, you're very sound in trying to do any kind of analytical dynamics. Uh, you, when you, once you establish perfect uh, orbital mechanics, orbital dynamics, any other mechanics, dynamics, statics, uh, statics course would be a piece of cake for uh, for you. So uh, in terms of uh, even in terms of um, optical engineering, if you're dealing with the optical payload, the simulations you do can can really give you a lot of lot of experience, uh, sometimes even hands on experience in, uh, in 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 optics. So I think satellite engineering is is inherently a multidisciplinary engineering uh, field and people should see that
0: yeah, i asked that because you know often i, I deal with uh, i mean a lot of requests coming through linkedin or you know many other channels and uh, uh, by students especially from india on many other things and sometimes uh, these are bizarre requests because for example you know two weeks ago we were conducting a webinar on uh, on some space related topic and some uh, some person reached out to me saying will i get a certificate for signing up for this zoom webinar <laughs> right so yeah. the the problem is that uh, they when you have people like that you know then this uh, doesn't really work because you know the incentive then is uh, what will i get uh, to say uh, rather than what will i get to learn
1: right right yes i think that's that's i i i do so i do see that problem as well i think uh, even uh, when I, when we approach academic institutions proposing these uh, the s- uh, small satellite program the first thing they are going to ask is uh, what is going to, what is the institution going to gain what what i tell them is uh, as an academic institution this is an opportunity to provide the highest education you are if you are developing a, a rocket scientist you don't think that rocket scientist will will fit a mechanical engineer mechanical engineering job or in electrical electrical electronics engineering job the the knowledge or the education that that your the, the students are going to get it will translate into jobs and wonderful careers i i absolutely agree with you there there are students who ask me this question as well i mean what am i going to gain from it will i get a job or will i get a certificate just enjoy the education i think the process of learning is is much more much more enjoyable than the outcome of it. And it's it's particularly so in when you do uh, satellite engineering or space systems engineering, if you go if you if you're able to transport yourself from Earth to orbit, I think you cannot you you really experience joy when you when you start uh, thinking about or start, start visualizing uh, orbits and orbital elements and how uh, launches happen. It's its really amazing and that process is very, very joyful.
0: Yes, and in a typical, you know, Indian university setting, it's also about uh, the metric is normally jobs, right? You know, how many placements have we made Where all which company has recruited uh, all our uh, students, and that's normally at least you know 10 years ago that was the metric that uh, I know of, Uh, but I'm not sure how much of it has changed. And uh, I guess you know essentially the point that I wanted to make there is that uh, it's for some of these uh, universities to realize that uh, satellite programs are also such an extreme level of engineering that you could. Have any company come and recruit your graduates who have performed successful tasks in building such a mission?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think that 's very, very true and i I would i li- 'm sure the most of these companies who are recruiting realize that, but if you if you see satellite engineering uh, on somebody 's resume, I would highly encourage uh, encourage uh, these companies. To look at that particular candidate uh, with uh, with a microscope. I mean, they have done some really incredible work, uh, and which is which is going to which is related to what you're doing. Um, for example, if you're into satellite engineering, you would you would very nicely fit into let's say uh, Qualcomm could come and say you have done satellite, you've done something in communication engineering, and Making communication work in in a satellite world, if we can do that, I mean, ground systems would be uh, again, I'm over, maybe I'm over exaggerating, but ground systems would be a piece of cake. Um, so recruit them. I mean, and colleges should also encourage uh, engagement in in satellite engineering or space systems engineering. So you
0: talked about the entry of uh, students in the second year and then you know they graduating in, in the fourth year and so on. So how how can a university or an institute plan for a, a satellite mission? Uh, because normally, I guess, in any Indian Institute uh, Normally, it is one satellite that they plan for. I've never seen anybody say that I am planning a ten satellite, uh, you know, roadmap that is uh, twenty years ahead in time, and we will be doing one satellite every two years. Uh, normally, there are no such elaborate uh, plans uh, that uh, you know typical Indian universities have in in such uh, you know management kind of decisions in building a satellite team. So. What are the challenges in having a rolling framework in in building such missions?
1: Right. I think India should uh, really learn from the US in that regard. I'm sure you realize that there are many, many universities who have established a very stable um, satellite program in that uh, small satellite program. They have They are not looking at one and done missions. They are looking at uh, missions after missions and they want to keep keep, uh, doing that. I think the way to do that is if you recruit a faculty or if you recruit a retired ISRO personnel uh, and let them lead, maybe a couple of them, let them lead uh, lead the program. I think you look at something short term and something long term. In terms of short term, you look at uh, systems design, you look at uh, payload design, and I think the turnaround for these different payload designs would be maybe a couple of years, a year or little more than a year. Um, You can have uh, your graduate students to do their master's thesis on these different payloads. So when you do that, I think what you have is you have a kind of preliminary uh, design on your hands. Uh, And when you have a couple of these, you can look at, if you're not looking at a mission payload, you can look at uh, designing a particular subsystem of a satellite as a master level thesis, or uh, sometimes if the students are really good, um, you can look at uh, getting a, a final year project, um, which has happened, actually, and what I have seen that. Um, and then if you keep doing this for a couple of years, I think what you'll realize is uh, students may come and go, but you have something stable. You're building something stable. If you're training um, students to design and develop satellites, uh, your satellite is, is taking shape because you're invest, you've invested time in, in training or in, in developing the mission payload and a couple of subsystems. And now you're looking at uh, getting students to design and develop, develop that, um, that particular uh, mission. You are with one or two such faculty and that's, what, that's how it works out in the US as well. There are a couple of faculty who are, who are dedicated to this. And then they recruit really good graduate students. I think India can India can take that as take. Uh, India can do that as well. There are some really, really good uh, candidates in India. You can recruit either graduate students or, if you like, you can recruit simply research assistants or research associates who strictly do only this. They are not taking any courses or anything. So with a couple of dedicated professors, faculty, or... Uh, retired isro personnel, and a, and a few research assistants or research associates, you can run a really good program where undergraduate graduate students are coming in, going out, coming in, going out, but the program is running well. And every, let's say, three to five years, you're churning out a mission. I think that's definitely feasible.
0: Yeah, one of the ideas that uh, I was thinking, you know, while you were talking about this is uh, the importance of... Uh kind of integrating academic missions with the uh, space agencies missions, because normally there's a very distinct barrier. The space agency has its own missions, its own payloads, and they consider the academic missions more as them supporting uh, the academia and giving them a flight opportunity rather than uh, anything else and some bit of consulting and, you know, uh, advising and giving some facilities for tests. But what would be really interesting to see is... Uh, if uh, if some of this can be kind of uh, used where ISRO can come up with its own payloads as in it could be some electronics or some pieces of uh, equipment that it wants to test in space or some uh, new payloads that it wants to engineer which can fit in the CubeSat or the small satellite form factor it could be some new COTS solutions or COTS based uh, uh, electronics that they want to test in a space environment, and they can be given out to as uh, payloads to universities to to them integrating them, and then uh, through that learning how to build these subsystems. And ISRO can use that as uh, you know flight torch opportunities to do uh, in-orbit demonstrations or verification of some of these uh, equipment. Right?
1: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I think that's a wonderful idea. That's a very uh, very beautiful idea, um, and there is there is a lot of potential in the, in india in in that regard i think it it kind of works it it uh, there is a similar there is a similar framework uh, in the us where nasa extensively uh, collaborates with academic institutions to demonstrate uh, certain payloads to demonstrate science so isro can definitely do that and i think isro should actively take up doing such things what it should if it if it comes up with a with as with a payload or with a uh, with a with a system which we which they want to make available commercially off the shelf, they should just go to an academic institution which is established well established in and uh, which has let's say successfully demonstrated a mission and say take this payload, take this money, build the satellite and give it give it to us and we'll launch it for you and both the institution and ISRO are going to gain so much out of this. I think ISRO is not going to it has so much on a plate right now that it it cannot it cannot do uh, invest in, uh, in these um, in testing such systems, I think it has too many uh, missions manifested uh, too much going on uh, in its in in the organization There is a lot on plate. So they could they could use academic institutions help and what this is going to do is, over a period of time, these academic institutions are going to be, become exception, exceptionally uh, self reliant and they're going to say um, they're going to develop the capabilities. And even when ISRO is not coming up with uh, special systems like this, they can come up with uh, special systems, uh, get funding from ISRO. If ISRO sees that special system as something which is going to benefit, uh, the nation, and they can launch it, they can test it, and they can make it uh, uh, useful for uh, the, the entire country. And I, I want to say this. I think, in terms of how ISRO sees some of the subsystems, and how these some of these academic institutions see these subsystems, I think there is there is a significant gap there, because academic institutions are kind of looking at the state of the art and they are advancing research, advancing the state of the art of the research. They understand what, is, what the world is doing in terms of uh, how advanced a particular technology is. I think uh, ISRO because of, its, of, its, of the need to be, need to maintain its credibility, it's not going to go too much into exploratory stuff, uh, exploratory uh, systems. So there is there is going to be a balance here. I think uh, ISRO can keep doing, uh, keep working with stabilized systems, and the academic institutions can explore, you know, more state of the art that that will bring about um, that will really help the na- help the nation and the the people.
0: Let's uh, talk about some of the common mistakes. Uh, you know. Because uh, there's quite a lot of mistakes, I think, in how you can position your mission and how you can approach even before flying the satellite or even, you know, the mistakes are not just in the hardware or in the technology, but it also could be your approach itself, uh, which could lead it to a disaster. And uh, one of the things that I see there is uh, this approach of uh, trying to design every single resistor and capacitor on uh, on the flight hardware at the very first go which one, you know, takes years of efforts uh, and increases the team size to 200 people or 150 people. uh, And, you know, uh, can be multiple points of failure. Uh, So so what are your experiences in, uh, you know, such mistakes for first timers? And, uh, you know, what are the key insights around them?
1: Right. So that is a very good point. I think, um, first of all, I would always say... uh, invest in systems engineering, uh, invest in systems engineering training. The second, as you rightly said, the first mission, if you're looking at a first mission, look at it as a stepping stone for a program. And if you're trying to build everything uh, from scratch, uh, I think some of the institutions have done, many of the institutions have tried to do that and its result, it's been uh, disastrous. Um, if you're trying to build everything from the scratch, the irony is you're going to go over the budget if you If you think buying a system is uh, is uh, expensive, if you try to build uh, all the systems by yourself, I think you you'll be investing a lot in uh, in labor uh, you'll be investing in time wise you'll be getting you'll be needing a lot more time and the product which is going to come out of it may not actually be that superior it may actually it may turn out to be inferior uh, you would need a lot of testing to be done you would need a lot of uh, um, environmental qualifications to be done so if you're starting your your think about if the approach would be to think about starting a program and getting the first mission don't really think about the success of the first mission think about buying um, most of the subsystems off the shelf, uh, maybe invest in, in designing and developing the payload. Invest in, you, you understand, we almost always have to invest in, in developing the flight software. I think uh, there are piece, there'll be pieces available in terms of flight software, but uh, more often than not, we have to do that ourselves. And invest in maybe one more subsystem maybe the structure design your own structure, which is relatively uh, easy to do. If you do that, there is still a lot of things you will you will need to do you have we will have to have uh, some kind of ground facility. I think there are organizations which are going to give you which are going to track your satellite, download, download the data and give it to you. But I feel it's it's worth investing in a ground station. Uh, but yes, don't don't try to build everything from scratch.
0: Of course, you know every university may not have the budget of two or three crores, uh, you know, or uh, to to invest in such a satellite mission. <laughs> so one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, uh, what can these universities do to do some kind of space projects that are at least ground-based simulators of uh, satellites or uh, ground-based uh, mock-ups of uh, satellites that would uh, not fly but essentially would do all the functions of uh, what a normal satellite would do but uh, you know do something on the ground because and a camera is very inexpensive uh, a processor is kind of very inexpensive a communication system to build it to mock uh, the same things that a satellite would do is kind of inexpensive on the ground. So are there any tips and tricks to how some of these universities can do these things on the ground uh, and simulate a lot of these things?
1: Yes, so I think uh, you can do a lot of satellite engineering without actually uh, launching a satellite, uh, launching a satellite in orbit. The the one, the first big thing would be to, uh, I feel, is to have a ground station. I think with ground station, with a decent enough ground station, and uh, and if it's functional, you can collect a lot of data. You can analyze that data and do satellite engineering. Um, the other uh, things you can do is uh, you can launch uh, high altitude balloons. I think high altitude balloons can do a lot of science and a lot of very very good science. Uh, if you it, the, the turnaround is is a few months, and, but the outcome is, is really credible. You can put together, you can quickly put together a sensor electronics package. And unlike satellites, you don't have to worry about, um, you don't have to always worry about downlinking the data. If you can recover some of these high altitude balloons, which is, which is perfectly possible, you can simply open the, this thing and, and get, see the data for yourselves. Of course, there are, in fact, I, I recently had a call with NASA Wallops, the amount of opportunities which are available on sounding rockets, that is something really, really amazing. I think, um, in fact, they are, they're short of payloads on sounding rockets. I think sounding rockets are something which will really, really help, which is a great great platform for doing some immediate science, some immediate engineering uh, with some very quick outcomes, very quick, quick turnaround. Outside of that, uh, you can do some on-ground. You can develop um, a lot of these testing facilities. In fact, when I was doing my graduation in uh, at University of Florida, we came up with really really innovative uh, systems. For example, we put together a an air hockey table to do some attitude testing. Uh, one of my colleagues uh, put together a really neat system to, to quantify the the torque of these uh, reactions. Uh, so we were developing a CMG based systems, but he came up with a really unique system, a really nice system to quantify or to calculate the torque of these uh, systems of the of these different wheels. Um, I myself did a lot of uh, with with the amount of tools that are available right now. Um, If you look at uh, some of the orbit simulation tools and there are many of them are being made available for free for academic institutions. NASA has some really great uh, tools. Uh, They have this GMAT, they have something called 42, which is an amazing tool. You can do a lot of simulation in that tool and, and get that experience of satellite engineering with the uh, with the CAD tools, right? These some of these CAD tools are so you can develop such detailed design in these in uh, in these CAD softwares that you are doing a virtual assembly of a satellite. Um, And over a period of time, that skill can really translate well uh, in, in the industry. I, I, right now, a couple of students are working with me. And when when I asked them, initially, when I asked them to put together a satellite for me, it would take several weeks, several months to put together the design. Now, the turnaround is like, you. Ju- I just asked them, can you put together a satellite, uh, a 2U, 3U, 6U CubeSat? And within a week or so, the student is able to put together very accurate representation of these uh, of, of a satellite assembly. And when you show this to show this to let's say, a potential stakeholder, they're going to be very impressed. Uh, and what we did at uh, when I was a graduate uh, student, the 3d printing technology was just just about evolving around that time. And we did a really nice detailed cat design and got it 3d printed i think that is also a great uh, great way to experience satellite engineering when you when you build it and when you 3d print it when you prototype it and you assemble it and show it to a potential stakeholder you can sell your mission to these people so there is there are a lot of lot of simulation tools there are a lot of uh, test rigs, uh, you can do a lot of, you can build your own vacuum chamber, you can build your own with a little bit of, um, with a motor, you can build a vibration table, which you can test various subsystems. So there is a lot of things you can do on ground without ever launching satellite.
0: So we've had a quite a long chat and uh, my kind of final question in closing, I wanted to ask you is, of course, there are students out there who may not have any kind of uh, support around them by any institutions uh, or even interest uh, in in you know backing such projects, and uh, in that case, how can they be involved in such uh, CubeSat or small satellite related activities? It could be just somebody who's uh, having a tiny little uh, laptop and sitting by themselves with an internet connection and thinking, "How can I be involved in a space or a satellite project?"
1: sure i think um, there are a lot of uh, as as you even you are doing uh, there are a lot of these webinars happening there are a lot of these uh, i am actually right now interacting with uh, academic institutions in india to give them one hour lecture uh, maybe give them a workshop so i would encourage these students to look for these avenues these are your avenues these are windows to entering the satellite engineering world and many of the students uh, who work with me now have really entered through this window if there is an opportunity to even listen to somebody talk if there is an opportunity then if that you that person may be willing to work with you there are a lot of a uh, lot of us right right now with your initiative of the new space india there are so many people who are willing to look at uh, who are willing to teach you, who are willing to engage you, who are willing to uh, help you with education, educating yourself in, in satellite engineering. So there are a lot of avenues. Uh, I think you would be more, uh, I think, a very resourceful person in in, in trying to put them in touch with, with, uh, with the New Space India community.
0: So, Sharon, I think uh, we've had a chat for more than an hour now. I think uh, we've covered a lot of t- topics. And, of course, there's a lot of topics that we might not covered in this whole session. And uh, we will reserve that for a future session. But in the meantime, I think for anybody who has questions, uh, I hope that I can maybe you know insert your email ID into this uh, episode's uh, notes so that they can reach out to you and ask you any questions directly.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I'd be uh, I'm, I'm always uh, looking forward to uh, help uh, helping uh, students, particularly from India. And if they are if there is any scope that I can help, I'll be very, very glad to help. Please do provide my email address.
0: So thank you for taking an hour of your time in uh, chatting with me. And uh, it's, it's been again, one of the insightful episodes, I think we have uh, recorded, uh, you know, having gone through so much of your experience and sharing uh, a lot of this insights, I hope, uh, you know, this is useful for people who are either, you know, teachers or, uh, you know, students who are trying to get into this CubeSat and SmallSat education programs. Uh, thank you again for getting on the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, NP. And uh, I, I, I also hope that it reaches out far and wide and we're able to capitalize from this.